Some of you have heard Anne Lamott's story about why she made her son go to church when he was young and he didn't want to go. It's a great story and you can look it up. Um, It's called Why I Make Sam Go to Church. But in one sentence she says, I made him because I want to give him what I found in the world, which is to say a path and a little light to see by. It's as good a description as I know for what we are trying to do here, what we are about, helping you to find a path and a little light to see by. My question for you today is this, have you found it? And if not, are you looking? I know from experience that the path that she's talking about is not a straight line between two points. Rather, it's more like a wandering, a crossing back, a getting interrupted and diverted sometimes, also going down some dead ends and sometimes discovering that those dead ends were actually the places I needed and was meant to go. The famous monk Thomas Merton wrote a prayer about this that tells the truth that you sometimes have to get lost in order to be found. In that prayer, he confesses that he can't see the road ahead. He has no idea where he is going. And he prays, I know you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Some of you must have experienced this, right? Finding yourself going somewhere, doing something that you don't fully understand and you can't even explain, but still you're feeling pulled as if by a magnet or some kind of force down some particular way? Or have you ever found yourself seemingly by accident in the place that you needed to be and you have no idea how you got there? The contemporary American mystic and depth psychologist Robert Johnson came up with a name for these hidden forces that seem to be nudging us and guiding us along our way. He called them slender threads. He wrote, it is an audacious notion to put forth in this age of science and willful determination that one's existence is somehow inspired, guided, and even managed by unseen forces outside our control whether called fate, destiny, or the hand of God, slender threads are at work bringing coherence and continuity to our lives. Over time, they weave a remarkable tapestry. These are the mysterious forces that guide us and shape who we are. It's kind of like electricity. I heard someone say one time, You don't have to understand how it works 
in order to benefit from it. One of the great values of sitting here for an hour, not doing very much really, is that the act of worship, of singing and praying and listening and being together in silence, this opens you up where you can better hear that quiet and inner voice can better sense the leadings of those slender threads. Deeper understanding has to begin with what Rob Bell calls you listening to you. He says that if you don't know how to listen to your own inner voice, then it's likely you will end up reading off of someone else's script. And if you're doing that, you know, reading off somebody else's script, it's kind of hard to follow the path that is your own. You might say that it seems like a luxury these days to focus on your own inner work, but I truly believe that it's a necessity. I was walking out of here on Thursday evening on my way to lead a memorial service at a funeral home nearby. And I said hello to several people who were walking into our basement for the Thursday night AA meeting. And it gave me hope and warmed my heart to see those folks whose names and stories I will never know coming here to do their own deep work, determined to save the only life they can save. Because if you want to be of use in the world, you have to do your own work and be in touch with your own light and your own shadow too. Otherwise, it is so easy to bumble around unaware make a mess of things, do more harm than good. And this is one of the things that I love about you, that you are trying, that you are willing to work on yourselves and to work on making ours a better world. I hope you see that about yourself. I'm especially thinking of our dear, beloved Diane Brokvist, who used to sit right over here, who died last Tuesday in hospice. She was certainly someone who did her own work with courage and with persistence. She had more pain in her past than most of us, and she could have some rough edges, yes. And she was courageous and dogged in her desire to heal and to help others heal too. I learned so much from Diane and feel so blessed to have been one of her companions. And I'm so aware these days of the absence that her death brings. So about the path. Can you describe yours? Would you say that you have one? And if you're not sure, 
You're in luck. I brought a little homework for you today. There's a green sheet at the back of the sanctuary and also on the food table at coffee hour. It's an exercise on one sheet of paper called a spiritual autobiography timeline. It was created by my friend Kimberly, who's a spiritual director. And it helps you make a visual representation of key moments in your own life. It's fun to do. You don't have to be an artist to do it. It's enlightening to do it because it can help you see that there is more coherence and more of a pattern to your life than you may have thought. So help yourself to one of those pieces of paper on the way out if you'd like to play with that. We live in a time when our culture encourages us to look for the quick fix and to take shortcuts, to move faster rather than go deeper. So Karen Armstrong's words are a necessary corrective. Religion is hard work, she writes. Its insights are not self-evident and have to be cultivated in the same way an appreciation of art or music or poetry must be developed. You know, if you want to be a better singer or writer or dancer or artist, you practice. If you want to have a deeper and more rewarding spiritual life, you need to practice. But I hope you don't hear this practice as something that's inherently painful or that feels like drudgery. Traveling the path that is your own, it will sometimes be hard, of course, but it should also bring you deep joy. So a good place to start if you're looking for the path that is yours is to ask, what is my heart's desire? What is my soul longing for? And then follow where that leads. It may be making art or dancing or feeding people. It may be gathering with others to talk about theology or ethics. It may be singing. I hope it includes coming here. You know, the days are gone when someone from on high would prescribe the religious path that you were supposed to take. There may be some people who still try that, but I I think it's there's not much future there. Because today people have choices. And many of us have created a kind of hybrid path for ourselves. I still embrace the Christian tradition that I grew up in, but I've certainly broadened my understandings and my interpretations of that tradition over the years. It's informed by and enriched by Buddhist teaching and Islamic mystics and by Jungian psychology and grounded in a love of this earth and its seasons, to say nothing of trout (laughs) and where they live. If in the past there was too little freedom, these days it might be that we have too much freedom and too many choices 
Because it's possible to dabble in a bunch of things, to keep getting distracted by shiny objects and not be grounded anywhere. I'm convinced that you do need a path, a community with companions and practices if you want to go deeper and if you want to be sustained for the long haul. To that end, next Saturday, Sophia and I are leading that half-day retreat I mentioned called Claiming Our Spiritual Leadership that's designed to help you be in touch with your own spiritual resources and find the work that feeds your soul and be more grounded in these anxious times. And if that tugs at you, I hope you can come. While Claire was away on her parental leave, she borrowed a book from me that is called The World's Religions by Houston Smith. She's definitely somebody who's meant to be working in a church if that's the book she was reading with a brand new baby, right? Houston Smith is widely known as a scholar of world religions. This overview that he wrote of the major face was widely translated into 12 different languages. This lifelong Methodist also had a yoga practice, and he prayed five times a day in Arabic. He was open in his life to being moved by new experiences and understandings, and his path took unexpected twists and turns, which made it just more interesting and more beautiful. He says there's a crucial difference between finding your path and traveling it. And on the other hand, seeing religion as like going through a cafeteria line. You know, I'll take a little of that, a little bit of that. I had a teacher in divinity school who advised one of his advisees when putting together a course of study, you need to put back some of these desserts and help yourself to more meat and potatoes and vegetables. Houston Smith writes, the cafeteria approach to spirituality is not the way organisms are put together, nor great works of art. And a vital faith is more like an organism or a work of art than it is like a cafeteria tray. The invitation is to seek out the path that is your own and to get on it and follow where it leads. And when you do, I trust that your path will be something like the path that we heard Mary Oliver describe this morning, with light and shadow and a road full of fa fallen branches and stones, and you feeling this inexorable urge to Put those voices behind you and head, as she writes, deeper and deeper into the world. Determined to do the only thing you could do. Determined to save the only life you could save. My spiritual companions, that is what we are here to do. The only thing we can do, 
to live as fully and as deeply as we can these lives we have been given. That's how you save yourself. That's how you help save the world. Being on the way, on the path that is yours, on the way together. Amen.